Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast, where each week our goal is to simply get a better understanding of God's Word, the Bible. We hope you will get reading this amazing book and join us on this exciting journey. And now, here's your host, Pastor Mark Miner. Well, hello everyone. Hope you're having a great day today as uh, you join with me for 24 minutes of Bible study, or at least of putting the pieces of the Bible together, for that is the purpose of the 24-minute Bible podcast. I'm Mark Miner, your host, your tour guide, your fellow explorer, as we look at this most incredible and wonderful book called the Bible. been doing this for a number of podcasts now, and, and actually for a number of years, and Uh, I would hope as you listen to uh, this podcast, whether it's today, your first one, or maybe you've uh, listened to some of the other 80 plus podcasts that I've done, the whole premise is really to help you in a simple way understand the Bible, how it puts, how it is pieced together. We don't go deep. We don't do a deep dive into the study or the words or uh, even a lot of the specifics of the books. Uh, We really just sort of put the pieces together so that when you grab the Bible in your hand or when you open it up on your iPhone or however you access the scripture, uh, you're going to have some confidence because you're going to be aware of uh, of something specific in each of the books. I just spent a few moments with one of my grandchildren, and uh, he just went to to California. The entire family went out for a high school graduation of a relative. And so I I asked him, okay, one thing that you remember that was the most exciting thing about California. Now, they saw the Redwoods. They went across Golden Gate Bridge, uh, did a lot of different things. Uh, you got to understand this young man's in fifth grade. So what did he say was the most exciting thing about going to California? Well, they went to a water park. And that's what he remembers about it. Now, as he gets older, he'll remember some of the other things, perhaps. But uh, he could have not gone to California, stayed a lot closer, saved a lot of money, and gone to a water park. But that was, in his fifth grade mind, that's the one thing that he remembers. Well, in your fifth grade mind, uh, dear friend and listener, I just hope that you have one thing that you remember from each of the books that we are discussing here uh, on this podcast. And if you can do that, when somebody asks you, for example, today we're going to be looking at the book of Joel, the books of Joel and Amos. And so if somebody says, tell me one thing about the book of Joel, what might you say? Well, it's in the Bible. I've never read it before. Maybe I've read it before. What might you say? So I'm going to give you a couple of specific terms for each of these two books. And uh, as I do every time in our podcast, and so our key phrase today for the book of Joel is bugs. If you can hook up, if you can link in these uh, in a specific way the book of Joel with the term, the idea, bugs. Literally, it's locust. As Joel starts out talking about locust, uh, the bugs, those swarming uh, wild-looking bugs with the great big eyes that make all kinds of uh, odd, very loud, irritating noises sometimes. But just remember, one thing from each of the books of the 66 books of the Bible, and I'm telling you, you will be a successful Bible student. You certainly will know more than most of the people sitting in any given church on Sunday morning, and you can be a little bit proud of that. I don't think that's a sin. I think that's just good to be proud of what you know about God's Word. So we're going to start today as we look at these two minor prophets. 
Joel and Amos. I'm going to give you a little background, and we're going to take each book separately. We're covering two books today in our 24 minutes. They're both small books, and they're both pretty well concise with the message, and so I think we can cover that today as we walk through this Bible, uh, this holy book that God has given us in this year of 2022, which is when this is being recorded. So uh, thank you for joining me uh, today for this. Let me just uh, begin, as I often do, with a little bit of background concerning the Minor Prophets, probably the least known, least understood of the books. Uh, listen, I've, I've been tricked before with people telling me that some book was in the Minor Prophets, and I said, oh yeah, sure, I've read that book. And in fact, there wasn't even a book uh, that uh, I was just being deceived, because I really hadn't read the books. I, I knew some verses from them. Uh, but uh, the Minor Prophets are probably the least understood of all the books in the Bible, not because you can't understand them, but just because we don't take the time to read them. In, in context, though, let's just understand a little bit about the Minor Prophets. They are not in chronological order. Most of the rest of the Bible is in chronological order. But when we come to the Minor Prophets, they are not. They cover about 400 years of history, from 800 to 400 B.C., uh, the focus or recipient of each of the messages is different. So we have some specific letters or some specific uh, text, if you will, going to uh, different groups of people. For example, Jonah, who we'll look at next week. Jonah's message wasn't to the Jews. It was to an enemy of the Jews, the Assyrians. Obadiah, who we'll also look at next week, uh, didn't preach to the Jews. He spoke to the Edomites. There was Haggai who did speak to the Jews, but he spoke to them about a specific thing. Finish the temple. Finish the job that you started. And so as we go through the minor prophets, we'll realize that, that uh, they're, they're not random, but they're specific and they're not always connected. And they are within a 400-year period of time, not necessarily in sequential or chronological order. Now, maybe that doesn't matter to you, but I just wanted to lay that out there. Are the minor prophets important? Well, 11 of the 12 books that we call the Minor Prophets are quoted in the New Testament. So I think that Jesus and Paul, Simon Peter, when they were quoting verses uh, from their Bible, which was the Old Testament, of course they didn't have the New at the time, uh, they go to the Minor Prophets to substantiate the work of the cross in Christ or to describe what is going on, which is going to be the case today as we look at these two books. So there is a, a purpose for the Minor Prophets. Some of that was specific for that time. But I'm telling you, the messages resonate with us today, and that's why God included them in this, this holy book called the Bible, because the messages and the people that are being spoken to are no different than you and I. Same problems, same people, same issues, same desires, same brokenness, society the same way. And that's really what we're looking at today as we look at the books of Joel and Amos. So let's get in, in, into the book of Joel. Joel, we think, was written around 700 B.C. Somewhere in there, there's some discrepancy, but I'm always going to give you an approximate date. Around 700 B.C., uh, Joel's message was... Uh, really, uh, in a general sense to everybody, he talks about blowing the trumpet in Zion. And 
speaking to Zion. That could be God's people. That could be Judah. That could be the entire uh, nation of Israel, the people of Israel. But it's, it certainly speaks to us today. So when you look through the, the chapters of the book of Joel, a couple of things that I would draw your attention to that I think are important to remember. As I've already said, the key phrase for the book of Joel is bugs. Yes, those creepy crawly bugs, specifically the locust. Joel begins talking about different kinds of locusts. And he says that they're going to come to devour the land. So uh, key point number one or key concept number one for the book of Joel is that an invasion is coming. Uh, as we talk about invasion, as we talk about uh, judgment coming, and that is indeed what, what Joel is talking about, it's important to understand I think a, a concept that God has. When, when punishment comes from God, and there is punishment, there is judgment, and both of these books refer to that, but when punishment comes from God, most often it is not God raining down lightning bolts or, or uh, burning uh, sulfur or uh, you know, some kind of uh, thing that he's doing to us. The way that God brings forth judgment is he takes away his hedge. In other words, he takes away the protectiveness that our God is. And so he says basically to us, if you don't want my way, fine, I will leave you to yourself. Maybe you've done that to a child where a child says, well, I'm going to run away. Uh, and they're five, six, seven, eight years old. And you say, okay, well, let me pack your little suitcase. And here's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich right when you get work. Uh, and of course, usually that impact is that the child says, oh, I think I'll stay. Well, that's really what God does with uh, us today and what he certainly did with the children of Israel. Uh, he takes away the hedge when they say, we don't want you anymore. He takes away his protection. It's removed. And then, once the hedge's pro uh, protection is removed, and we read about that hedge in the book of Job. We, if you remember, Satan couldn't get to Job because, God, you, you've raised up a hedge of protection around him. I can't get to Job. That's what Satan said, his very words. Same thing we read about the book of the hedge of protection, the book of Isaiah, the book of uh, Hosea that we uh, referenced just a, a few podcasts ago, if you're in a sequential order here. All of those talked about a hedge. So God has a way of protecting us. But when we say we don't want him anymore, or, be, or our behavior uh, causes him to remove that hedge of protection, uh, as a term we use around here sometimes is Katie bar the door. Look out, Pandora's box is open. Things are going to get bad. Here comes the judgment. And that is indeed the concept of the book of Joel. The hedge is being removed and judgment is coming unless you repent. In fact, one of the things we find out throughout uh, the entire Minor Prophets, really the Bible in total, but specifically the Minor Prophets, uh, something bad has happened. A, a precipice has been approached. Uh, some kind of uh, a, a river or a crossing where God has said, I've gone as far as I can go. You either repent, but if you don't repent, uh, I'm going to take you down the hedge. The judgment is coming. So the question is, was it real locust? Uh, there certainly are plagues of locusts. Even to this day, there are plagues of locusts in the Middle East that devour everything. They devour wealth. They, they devour uh, the structure of the land. They just inhabit everything, and they become, even though there's no poison in the locust, uh, there, is, there is such a numerous amount of them that they literally destroy uh, everything and just totally disrupt any kind of semblance of civilized life. 
So it could have been real locusts that Joel was talking to uh, God's people about. Another thought is that this swarm may not have been of locusts, but indeed it might have been of humans, an invading army. So either way, we're not really sure, but do understand this is case concept number one that we look at. An invasion is coming. And if you don't repent, the hedge is taken down, taken down, and the enemy comes. Now, could that be the case today in the United States of America? I, I definitely think that this book is so prescient speaking to us today. Uh, and the swarm may come. What swarm that may be or how it, what it looks like, how we define it, who knows. But I certainly, I certainly think that we as, we as Americans, uh, I as an American certainly, I look at the sin in our land and the lack somewhat of repentance, not only outside in the world, but even in the church. And I wonder what may be coming our way. Maybe it's already here. But the second key concept is the promise of restoration. I'll take you, let's fast forward for a moment to the book of Acts. Jesus has been crucified, he's been buried, he's been risen from the dead, he was here on earth for 40 days, he ascends to heaven, and now it's the 10th day after, actually a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. And if you remember the book of Acts, chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down upon the church, there's fire, and there's wind, and there's speaking in tongues, and there's a presence of God felt by everybody there in the city of Jerusalem as the Holy Spirit for the first time comes down, not to just rest upon men, but now to inhabit mankind because of the work of the cross. Simon Peter uh, comes out of that room of 120. The crowd there of 3,000 people plus knows something very unique has happened at this moment, at this time, on this very peculiar but very special Pentecost. And Simon Peter begins to preach. Uh, the true preacher always has a sermon in his back pocket, always ready to share. And Simon Peter was no different as he was now filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to preach. And where does he get his text? He gets it from the book of Joel, the very first sermon ever preached after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, the very first sermon preached, one could say, in the church ever, was preached by Simon Peter, and his text for that day was Joel chapter 2, verse 28. You might remember it. I'll quote it to you right now. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So what a, what a wonderful testimony to the power of the book of Joel that it was used as the text for the very first sermon ever preached by the first preacher, Simon Peter, and 3,000 people, by the way, responded to that invitation and became, became Christ followers uh, on that morning or on that, on that morning and on that day. So the, the second key concept here of the book of Joel is not only that invasion is coming, but if we repent, if we return to the Lord, there is a promise of restoration. He says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. As a personal aside, I've seen this, this truth worked out in, in hundreds and hundreds of ways. I've seen people who were flat, busted, broke. 
because of, of uh, wickedness and ignorance and uh, addictions and so many other things in their life. And they came to Christ and they repented. They said, I'm sorry. And God restores unto them the wealth that uh, they, they had lost. Uh, some of you might know Dave Ramsey. That's part of his testimony. He was flat, busted, broke, given up for lost. And yet, as he came back to God in his testimony, God restored to him the years that the locusts had eaten. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen health restored. I've seen families restored. Churches uh, come back to life. Anytime God is allowed to move, there's revival and there is revitalization. And there is that promise of restoration. So the book of Joel is an amazing book concerning not only the locust, the swarms that can come when the hedge is down, but the power of God to restore if we will just simply turn to him, acknowledge our sin, and say, God, we need you. And that really is the message that Joel had to the church in his day, the, the, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and all who would hear. It's his message still today to us. The book of Joel. Keyword, bugs. All right. Ready to get a second book? Uh, we've been going for about 15 minutes here, 16 minutes. We're going to wrap it up with finishing up the book of Amos. A key phrase for the book of Amos. Justice. Joel is bugs. Key phrase for Amos, justice. Justice. Joel, or excuse me, Amos is also written around 700 B.C. Amos is a, a unique individual, and he starts off telling everybody that he's a shepherd, a shepherd from Tekoa. He was kind of a, a poor man's prophet. He was, he was one of those guys that God raised up out of nothing and nowhere. He took care of fig trees, and, and he raised sheep, and that was really his, his whole purpose in life until God spoke to him. And he raised him up, and he set him to speaking truth, to power. And so uh, Amos begins to speak predominantly to the nation of Israel, but actually to all of the powers and the people of that time. God's really not a respecter of persons. He wants all of us to come to him. It doesn't matter where you've been born. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what your religious understandings were. God's not a respecter of any of those things. He loves people. He loves you. And he wants to bring us back to himself. But he also wants us to live lives full of justice. And during Amos' time, there was an incredible amount of injustice going on. We hear that phrase said today over and over again in the United States of America. I'm not sure that it's absolutely true. I know there's injustice. But I do believe sometimes we use it simply as a ploy to, uh, to try to get something that we want and not necessarily something that God wants. Amos, however, was speaking to a nation that was totally perverted. There was a long list of sins, mainly those of the northern kingdom of Israel, which through their time of kingship never really had a good king, never had a good leader. So the prophets were speaking to the kings of that day, um, and <clears throat> they were saying things like this. Uh, it was a wealthy time for the nation of Amos. Uh, that he was speaking to, the nation of Israel that Amos was speaking to. They were wealthy, but they were also socially wicked. They were exploiting people, the people who had power. They were taking advantage of the poor. They were, there were bribes. There was selling justice to the higher, highest bidder. Again, perhaps very specific to our current country 
here in our current society in this world today, specifically in the United States. Two key points, though, concerning the book of Amos, the key word, justice. First point is simply this, uh, judgment comes because of the injustice. Amos's indictments start with Israel's enemies. He begins to speak to Damascus. And if you'll read through the book sometime, you'll see that he, he criticizes and said, judgment's coming to Damascus, coming to Gaza, coming to Tyre, to Eden, to Amnon, to Moab, even to the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, all of those countries, Amos is saying, the shepherd from Tekoa, he's saying, judgment's coming. God is telling you, repent, get right, or the hedge is coming down, and you're going to experience the wrath of God. And his wrath is not that he slaps his hands down on us, but that he takes his protective hand away from us. And so the first point in, under the book of Amos is that uh, there's judgment, but it's because of the injustice. He doesn't end with all the enemies. I'm sure that Israel was listening to this, the people of Israel, the kings of Israel. And he's criticizing all their enemies. Today it might be China and Russia and uh, North Korea. We might, oh yeah, give it to them. But when God begins to speak to us about the sins of the United States of America, all of a sudden things change a little bit. And that's exactly what happened with Amos. As he said, as he began to drop the other shoe and he said, look, judgment is also coming specifically to Israel, to God's people. Which brings us to the second point of the book of Amos, a book about justice. The second point is simply this. There were charges against Israel. Here are the charges against Israel. And these are some of these are very specific uh, points out of the scripture. They were selling poor people for a pair of sandals. In other words, there was slavery going on. Uh, it wasn't just an indentured servant. It was actually selling of people and breaking up people. You may say, well, that doesn't happen much today. Well, it does. Uh, it does happen in the world. It happens in our country. Uh, the sex slave trade is very prominent today where young girls and sometimes even young boys are sold into slavery. Uh, we might not call it such because the color of the skin has no bearing on it. It is those that are poor, those that have no route to go. Uh, they are offered a morsel, but they have to do something in return. They truly are uh, selling their soul for a pair of sandals. Amos continues with his charges against Israel. The second point, you have shoved the oppressed out of the way. You just pushed your way to the top and you didn't care who you stepped on. Thirdly, he says that you drink wine offered to gods and then you have the gall to think that you are religious. He says, I hate your uh, your 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 services, your offerings, your your religious ceremonies. They're, they're like stench in my nostril because he, they weren't worshiping God. They were worshiping other gods and then just acting religious and the hypocrisy stunk in the nostrils of God. He, he leveled this charge against Israel. He said, you hate honest judges. You hate those who hold to honesty, particularly those who are judges. It goes on and says, you exact exorbitant taxes from the poor and then you use that money to buy luxury items for yourself. This was the testimony of Amos that he was leveling at the people, particularly those that were in charge of his day, of that government. Does that ring any bells with us today? Is the same thing maybe happening in our culture today? Has anything really changed? Is there injustice? Is there hypocrisy, Condense uh, con uh, condescension? 
slavery, an abuse of power, abortion, so many things we could talk about in this world today that are uh, injustices against people. And sometimes the church, God's people, sit back and do nothing. And God says, I'm leveling the charge not at the world. Sinners sin because they are sinners. But when saints sin, it's because they choose to. And so the charges, most specific and vociferous charges were, were leveled against the people of God. And that's what the book of Amos is all about. Justice. Bring forth justice. The church is to fight for justice and freedom for all people. A memory verse for today that I would give you comes out of the book of Amos. Amos 5.24. It says these words. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness, righteousness like a never failing stream. Amos 5.24. That was Amos's cry for his land. It's my cry for our land today that we would see what's going on. We would defend the cause of the fatherless, of the weak, of those who have no voice. We need to be that voice for them. That's why the minor prophets are so powerful even to this very day. They are speaking a voice and words and truths that resonate to this very moment. To the minor prophets we've covered today. The book of Joel. Remember what the key word for Joel is? Bugs. I'm going to bug you until you get it. Bugs. And then the key word for Amos, justice. Let justice roll like a river. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, podcast. I'll be back with you next week as we look at the book of Obadiah. And then we look at that very, very famous prophet, an unwilling prophet, but a prophet nonetheless, the man called Jonah. Hey, thank you for being a part today. Have a blessed week and look forward to uh, spending 24 minutes again with you next week on the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to our channel. And if you would be so kind, share it with your friends who might enjoy it. We would also love it if you would leave us a review. It really does help us. Join us next week for another episode as we work our way through the Bible book by book. Have a blessed week.